Welcome to Alternative Fund Insight, exploring the trends and meeting the personalities driving hedge funds and private markets. My name is Will Wainwright and this week, episode 14, I am joined by another expert hedge fund allocator, Kia Bowley, co-head and CIO of Swiss Group UBP's Alternative Investment Solutions business. Since starting our podcast last summer, AFI has interviewed some of the leading names in alternatives. The next phase of AFI will make it a sustainable and long-term fixture at the heart of the alternatives industry. While the podcast and some daily news will remain free forever, AFI is introducing paid membership for our premium analysis and interviews. In addition, we have used our industry experience to build a suite of research and business intelligence tools exclusively for subscribers. We are also launching a new quarterly magazine focused on alternatives. Please head to alternativefundinsight.com for more information. Your support would be much appreciated. Here, thank you very much for joining me on AFI today. Could we start with a quick introduction on UBP's Alternative Investment Solutions Unit? Of course. So just to introduce ourselves, um, UBP has been one of the longest investors into hedge funds uh, and that we created the first team to invest into hedge funds in 1986 and it's been a continuous uh, team and presence within the hedge fund industry since then. Mm. Um, As of uh, today the team is split between London and Geneva and I'm the CIO of the uh, Alternatives Investment Solution team and I co-head it with my colleague, John Argie, who is based in Geneva. The team's 25, uh, and we look after, we manage in total, um, we are around 16 billion US dollars for the bank in alternatives. Great. So what were your thoughts on the alternative sector as it stands? Um, It was something of a breakthrough year last year as we had a terrible time for the 60-40 portfolio. How do you think hedge funds and alternatives more broadly fared? We tend to look at, um, as part of our analysis, the sort of long-term cycles. And uh, those can tend to be over, you know, decades type of periods of investing. And within that, what really tends to drive these cycles are these sort of longer run Uh, headwinds or tailwinds and of course over time these headwinds can then start to dissipate uh, and then we move into you know periods that are favorable and I think if you looked there was the sort of golden period in alternatives was around that 20-year period from uh, 1990 up to 2010 Mm. and the industry performed at around about 12% per annum, you know, attractive risk-adjusted return and really outperformed both equities and bonds. Mm. So against any 60-40 portfolio, it really stood uh, uh, it's stood on a standalone basis and, and very robust in, in the uh, realized returns. But then something really happened in 2010 to around 2020, and we saw a big compression 
in uh, the returns. And the big headwinds, we think, was really that period of zero interest rates mm-hmm. and the change by policymakers. If you think before 2010, it was really that uh, markets should allocate risk and capital freely and that markets knew best and that authorities should stand aside. When we got post-2000, uh, post the crisis 2010, it changed and policymakers started to view that they uh, know better than markets and so they should start to set asset prices for the greater good. Mm. Uh, and they, of course, did that by zero interest rates and then QE1, 2, 3, etc., where you could compress volatility. And with that, it allowed investors to extend their duration. Uh, And that's why the 60-40 portfolio works so well, because you could just go naked long Mm. um, into those two asset classes. I think the big change was, of course, and we think from 2021, was that uh, inflation returned. And therefore, with that, uh, central banks and policymakers became more constrained. And so markets started to price risk again, uh, a little bit more based on fundamentals. And if you think hedge funds are active managers, and so that moved back to uh, possibly markets being more free to price uh, risk correctly, really meant it was a good environment uh, last year for uh, a number of hedge fund strategies. Yeah, yeah. So that macro volatility really returned, which was great for global macro managed futures. We had high returns among multi-strategy funds too. So what did you make of the the, the best performers last year? Yeah, I think it was it was if you look, there's always dispersion between say the top decile and bottom decile uh, within. Um, the hedge fund industry. But what was interesting in 2022 was a very violent rotation between the previous period's winners and losers. So if we looked at the the strategies which really struggled in 2022 were were directional growth equity, quality growth, tech growth, those strategies which had generated very outsized returns for the five years previously, then had a tough 2022, especially in the first half of last year. Conversely, just as you mentioned, the the macro strategies, which had struggled for seven or eight years, really had a strong year. But that should have been expected, given that it was such a macro-driven market last year. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's just turn quickly to the start of this year, because it has been a very interesting January, very, very good January for um, stocks and bonds after last year. Does that affect your thinking at all? Or do you think that was kind of temporary and we're going to remain in quite a macro driven environment? That's I think I think that's the question that is uh, the people we speak to and many managers are really pondering um, and views change pretty quickly. I think um, Mm. if you looked at Q4, many were very convinced it was going to be a uh, a stronger for longer, quite a robust, nearly overheating market. uh, And therefore, they were going to have to continue to raise 
uh, rates further and then suddenly switched in in towards the end of 2022 with the view that actually recession is uh, is much more imminent and therefore started to put on more sort of cautious uh, positioning and mm. some short equity and and lo and behold you know we come into January and it's a bit of a mini uh, mini reflection of Q4 in that sort of very volatile within that month um, as people are very data dependent uh, at the moment trying to identify where that uh, where the US predominantly is within that cycle. I think um, what we our own views we tend to build expected returns from uh, 18 to 24 months out so a lot of the noise uh, is reduced then for our investments and our portfolios and the way we tend to look at the uh, a hedge fund investment is very similar to any analyst looking at a, a, a equities or bonds in that we set an expected return, and that's uh, and therefore that expected return is then looked at in reference to its historic range mm. versus its trend and its uh, uh, you know its standard deviation uh, above trend or below trend, and then identify the components that uh, make up or drive that total expected return, and at the bottom is is passive beta. Uh, within strategies, either to equities or credit. Uh, but then, and that's really the, the sort of lowest value uh, part of a, a return of a, a fund. And then we look at the more valuable, which is the strategy alpha, which is something that a hedge fund does that's different to long-only investing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not unique to them. It's such as convertible bond arbitrage. You know, the peer group does very similar uh, approaches. And then that final slither, which is the most valuable, is the unique alpha to that manager. Uh, and looking to identify those components, what we would favor is having a minimum amount of the passive beta within that return. Because often uh, our own view is that you can access that much better through a, a ETF or some uh, long-only type product yeah. if you have a strong ta tactical view. For us, if you're looking at a hedge fund minimum investment for three years, uh, then you should be focus on those two more added value type uh, profiles. So month to month can be a bit noisy like uh, January but in general we would think we would we would favor a sort of higher smoother risk adjusted type return mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what about long short equity uh, it had quite a difficult 2022 um, protected capital compared to equity markets but still attracted a fair bit of criticism what is the outlook now and has January changed that at all yeah, I think the, that the equity long short space is interesting because it's obviously had the longest sort of trend or or bull market environment. Is is it clearly it had a it had a momentum or growth bias to that bull market over um, value. Mm. Is you actually got quite a lot of that self selection that you see within hedge fund industries. Is there weren't that many value managers left. 
Um, and so predominantly at the industry level, it was quite growthy in style or yeah. bias. And therefore, especially in Q1, Q2 last year, when we had that very violent rotation, is that uh, a number of these well-known managers posted losses you know, well beyond, I think, clients' expectations. But for us, it was actually, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if we know that what's their passive beta as a component, do they have a big style bias and, and how hedged are they? Actually, some of those numbers met, matched what was happening with the underlying markets. The ones that did do well were the equity market neutral uh, approaches, and that can be quant or systematic through to fundamental stock pickers and those guys did pretty well you know well above their peer groups um, and so we were sort of quite pleased on those uh, the performances met sort of expect expectations mm -hmm. on I think going into this year I think the I think it's going to be interesting because um I think we remain relatively cautious on equities just in terms of um, even if we do have some form of slowdown, we, we should start to see the changes in expected earnings from corporates or mm -hmm. dispersion of earnings increases. And that actually should fall into favor towards equity long short. And of course, I think it will be a little bit mixed between investors' expectations on an absolute number versus relative. I think relative, then equity long shorts should do uh, well relative to equities underlying, um, just because the equities will probably be quite noisy and will move along sideways until we get more clarity on, on the economic cycle and interest rates. Mm -hmm. But in absolute terms, then that could be more of a challenge where some investors are still um, still set with sort of 15% plus expected returns within their, uh, you know, within their um, targets, when in fact you could be much lower at between, you know, zero to six or 7%. Yeah. Yeah. So to sum up, I mean, I guess it would be low net, long short equity funds that would be top of mind for you. Uh, I think so, because they should. Uh, and, and, and both sort of styles, there are two ways there can be, you know, very diversified at the single position level and then run a, a large gross balance sheet on top of that. And you're really trying to harvest the sort of uh, net alpha in these positions and that tends to be a sort of quant systematic approach and i think that should do well because they, they over the medium term they don't have any big style biases which could uh, affect the markets um this year mm -hmm. and then but on the other side but the, the other side we also like is the sort of low net uh exposure managers who can also run more concentrated portfolios where they're really focused on single positions um, uh, opportunities you know both on the long and short side mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I think with that and with the volatility that they would tend to produce or have the opportunity to post it, the top end of returns and in, in terms of the strategies you're most interested in 
I saw quite a positive take on credit in your recent briefing note, and you've just announced the partnership with Brigade. So is credit a, a real area of interest? Yeah, um, for us, I think within credit and sort of fixed income hedge fund strategies, I think the two areas which uh, are most interesting this year is on the more um, on the more rate side are the managers who concentrate on the micro uh, rates trading. You know, and those are the ones who are looking for very small discrepancies in valuations relative to fair value in government bond markets. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in U.S. Treasuries and in, in in Europe and the U.K. and and with interest rate policies close to uh, reaching peaks, possibly, then if we start to see changes in in, uh, in interest rate moves and you get changes in the shape of the yield curves those should be very good environments for that uh, micro rates trading. Mm -hmm. um, so that, and that's at the most liquid end. What they do do, of course, is they do use more leverage than, than the typical hedge funds because they're looking to lever these small discrepancies. Um, and then moving out along the credit curve, the one area we, are, we have a high conviction this year is on convertible bond arbitrage. Mm. And if you look at converts, then just taking the hedge fund strategies as an approach, you tend to see this three-year cycle where uh, in you have one year where underlying convertible bonds are weak, and that was 2022 as a good example. And the, and the good managers protect capital through that environment. And that's what we saw last year. Uh, within the convert space. And that's actually interesting both at the USITs levels of, of convertible managers uh, and to the more typical offshore uh, convertible bond managers. And then uh, post that, because the underlying markets are attractive, they're cheap, there should be more new issuance this year. And there is actually some positive carry on converts on issuance. And you still get that convexity on new issuance then you tend to see two good years in absolute returns and often above 10% per annum for the following two years, which could be 2023 and 2024. Yeah. So I think converts as, a, uh, as an alternative strategy um, is something to, uh, to look at within that fixed income credit space. Yeah, interesting. And where do private markets fit into all of this? What kind of focus do you have on this? So we have a team within UBP called the Private Markets Group or PMG, and they work with us closely, but they look after investments in private debt through to private equity. And so we, we define really liquid alternatives, which are hedge funds up to about one year liquidity. Mm -hmm. uh, and then post that really goes into the private side. There are some areas within the hedge fund strategies which are right at that crossover. And a good example is distressed uh, yeah. credit investing, which used to be in hedge fund format and you would tend to get annual liquidity. Um, but if you look now, a lot of those distressed uh, credit shops are actually launching uh, permanent capital or, or closed end fund structures for this cycle 
which are more sort of three to five year structures. So that's about the 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 limit or the crossover there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And finally, back to the hedge fund world. There's been so much talk about multi-strategy, multi-PM hedge fund platforms performing yeah. very well, attracting more capital. What is your take on this trend? Uh, we do like them. So we are we are invested across a range of them. Um, I think the most important uh, factor has really been their realized historic performance has been very strong in that they have matched what clients have thought about in that uh, attractive risk-adjusted return and very consistent through uh, various periods, including, you know, stress-type um, markets. So there is a clear reason as to why people have been attracted uh, to them. In addition, I think what's interesting is the industry, the hedge fund industry, it's become much more challenging for people to launch uh, standalone new hedge funds mm. because of regulatory reasons. Certainly, you, um, you need to get up to um, be viables uh, at launch. So multi-PM, multi-strategy shops really offer uh, individual uh, traders or PMs the opportunity to just plug in and play. So rather than taking two years to try to launch your own fund, you can go straight to a, one of these groups. And obviously, the uh, the economics are attractive to be able to uh, set up there without all of the the other hassle of setting up um, a business or a hedge fund. So I think there are a number of reasons why they have uh, both performed well and attracted talent to join them. Um, for us, what, what we tend to like are the multi-PM, multi-strat managers who uh, have a bias or a style which really uh, match where they came from originally. So they might be a multi-PM group, but they really have a discretionary macro strength or they might come from a um, an event-driven, uh, more sort of uh, non-directional uh, group, or they could be coming from a fixed income credit background. And I think each of those has that sort of distinct flavor or edge, which you can then use as a core and then maybe blend some uh, sector specialists where because of the size of the multi-PM fund, can't allocate to some of those more niche strategies and then you can create something that's a little bit more uh, blended yeah interesting and on multi-strats with that very strong performance has come high fees in some cases the use of pass-through structures what do you make of that debate so we we can understand why um pass-through is applied because of course they need to be able to attract these teams to join them and that's part of the cost of being able to hire these groups so we can understand that i think it's going to like all of these strategies you should always look at the net return so net of all of these additional costs and also what size can the fund grow to where it is still at its more optimal size um, and that's going to be, I think, the debate and the things people will follow over the next few years is can they repeat that with the high cost, the high fee cost they have on larger AUM size? And if not, um, then I think you'll see those net returns 
sort of compress quite quickly. Okay, great. Well, Kia, thank you very much for taking us inside UBP's AIS unit and best wishes for the rest of 2023. Thank you very much. Thank you to Kia. AFI subscribers can read the full interview online. If you haven't already, please follow AFI on LinkedIn and sign up to our free newsletter, an essential read for anyone in hedge funds and private markets. That's it for now. Until next time on AFI.